Hello, everybody. Welcome into another edition of Head Coach U. I am Brian Fisher, joined as always by former BYU and Virginia head coach Bronco Mendenhall. And Bronco, we've we, we doubled the amount of OSU on, on the podcast. Throw the welcome in Oregon State head coach Jonathan Smith. Jonathan, thank you so much for stopping by. Yeah, it's great to be here. Well, I, I mentioned doubling the, the amount of OSU. Mm-hmm. Got two, two alums here here on the podcast. But you know what, what's interesting about your career? You're responsible for like two thirds of the amount of double digit win seasons there, both as a player <laughs> and, and a coach uh, with, with Beavs. I, I'm just kind of curious when, when you know a special season is, is kind of coming, or, or you're in the middle of something. What, what's different about that feeling as a player versus as, as a head coach? Yeah, you know, I don't know. I'm certain that you're while you're in the middle of the season, if you know this thing is is really, really special, you get so focused on, you know, the week to week and the process of the piece, definitely at the end of them, right? Like the last regular season game, uh, you know, when you win that and you have a little chance to look back on what you accomplished before a bowl game, there was something special of that. That locker room celebration after, you know, getting yourself to double digit wins is pretty, pretty special. So when you consider just what uh, what it was like when you arrived at Oregon State as a player and and maybe now when you arrived as the head coach, uh, stages of the program, differences, similarities, and, and what maybe was your mindset in both those instances? Yeah, well, going all the way back from a, being a player, this is 1997, uh, graduated <laughs> graduated high school, and, and I knew I wanted to get into coaching. Um, I was playing and not getting heavily recruited, but got the opportunity to walk on at, at Oregon State. Um, and, you know, Mike Riley was the head coach at the time. And I remember sitting down in his office and he more or less promising me, hey, you'll be treated, opportunity to be the same, just like everyone uh, on scholarship, except you'll be paying for it. And uh, he lived up to that through those those first couple of years, given opportunity and, and went to work and in practice. Uh, I remember when we arrived again, 1997, Oregon State hadn't had a winning season in 25 some odd years. And so it was uh, some work. And that team, those guys that I played with, we, had, we just went to work, kind of chip on our shoulder. Some of them felt under recruited, neither wanted an opportunity and kind of came together with a common goal over a few years. Um, and then ended up going to a bowl game in my the third year with those guys. And then the next year we did, we went 11 and one and had a phenomenal season. Uh, just think about those players. I mean, we had some guys. I mean, Chad Chad Johnson, T.J. Hushman, Zada, and Ken Simonton were running the ball, and we were good on defense. And 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 so when I got here, then fast forward to being the head coach, it was uh, similar in knowing that it starts with the people you surround yourself with, the type of players that uh, have a little chip on their shoulder and want to go to work. And 2018 came back here as the head coach, and there was some work to get done, and we just went about. Uh, you know, developing players and know this thing wasn't going to be a quick fix to turn around and went two and 10 our first season. Give a lot of credit to our coaching staff through that season. When it's not, you're not getting the results you want. We're still diving into the player and still coaching, still working. Uh, And we weren't getting results we wanted that first year. But then you just kept kept working and progressing. And second year got a little better. And third year was COVID. And then fourth year, we got ourselves back to a bowl game. And I finished this year five, a, we got 10 wins and, and we feel like we still got a little more to us and be excited about this next year. When you consider, as you talked about surrounding yourself with the right people and, and knowing having been an alum at Oregon state and knowing Corvallis, but also uh, just kind of seeing your program from afar, who fits best as you go out and you're considering, man, what kind of people, not only coaches, assistant coaches, but players 
who do you like to surround yourself with? What qualities, um, yeah. I don't know, fit best with you and fit best there? Yeah, I think uh, on the coaches and probably the locker room too, trying to get low ego, high output people, uh, understanding that, you know, you can be, as far as assistant coach, I think there's real value. And you lived here in Corvallis. You can be the type of coach you want to be at the same time being the type of you know father or husband you want to be because of the convenience of the town, you know, the commute to work is nothing, four or five minutes. And I think we try to create a schedule and a work style around here that guys can go pop out on their kids' events, get home at a decent time. And I just think that there's residual value for, for a coach to do his best work he's not feeling like he's sacrificing uh, being the type of father husband he wants to be. And I think when he, they, we got both going, you're, you're actively involved in the lives of your family. I think you're, you come to work in a better mindset that you know you're working and not taken away from them. So I, those type of people that value that, you know, we got a bunch of young, young kids on staff. So, you know, the coaches have young kids. I think they're living a great life that way. Uh, being the father they want to be. I think on the on the player side, you know, you're trying to play. It's about school and football. Coming to going to college and playing college football, it is school, it's football, and the ability to focus on those two things is vitally important for the type of guys we want to get in our locker room. Because, you know, Corvallis is a great town, great people, but this isn't uh, a major city. Uh, there's not a lot of juice and action going on. Uh, around and so the type of guys that don't need that don't want it that type of distraction fit our place um, and again looking for those guys that want to be a part of the team versus more or less tracking down their own touches accolades those yeah. type of things when you consider those guys that you played with and there was some there's some really good players and, and names that I think most of our listeners will recognize what do you think drew them and I know Mike Riley coach Riley really well and what a great person uh, and coach but what do you think drew that that group in addition to you? What do you think brought that group together? Yeah, you know, I it, we definitely had different uh, characters, personality types. Uh, <laughs> I think that uh, the, a lot of a lot of guys on that team, you know, needed a second chance, maybe felt overlooked, um, under recruited. Uh, so there's a little bit of chip on their shoulder. A lot of the guys' stories, you know, from TJ from junior college. Chad, same way, he bounced around a couple of them. Ken Simonton was a great running back for a long time. You know, I think Morgan State was only Pac-12 offer, myself being a walk-on. You know, there was just a lot that, uh, you know, something to prove and coming together. And and then I go back to this town, this town and this campus creates. You spend a lot of time doing this thing, the relationships guys had, that they, they were connected and practice was competitive. Uh, I think all all that led into having having a special couple of years and now you know Mike Riley was there my first couple of years playing and then Dennis Erickson came in and kind of in inherited a lot of the players and uh, brought a little bit of swagger and confidence to us and I think that helped the group uh, in my junior junior year yeah but when uh so a quick story when I chose Oregon State I was coming from Snow Junior College we just won a national championship my dad played at BYU I had a brother that played at BYU was a second round pick and I just kind of assumed the whole time that I was going to be recruited by BYU and I'm a member of the LDS faith and so anyway BYU chooses not to recruit me and literally uh, and I don't advise this to anyone my college choice was based on of the schools recruiting me who had BYU on the schedule and so, <laughs> and so it became vindictive, which was so silly and short-sighted. Anyway, uh, I'm, I go to Oregon State. My junior year, we go into Provo and we win. 
Yeah. And so, but I remember after the win, just thinking, okay, well, well now what? And, you know, so just the short sightedness, but also at that time, you, you'd mentioned it already, Oregon state had, I think there was 21 straight years of losing and I became a, a team captain the next year. And I remember some of the challenges then. And so it's been really interesting for me to see the progress and the wins come. Um, yeah in really a smaller market. Um, and that's why I think the people are so important, but also the leadership. And so if you had a second just to, to maybe contrast, and I know um, both coaches are really good, but from, from Coach Riley and Coach Erickson, and then maybe how that influenced your style, uh, if it did, and, and what, what influences they had. Yeah, definitely different, uh, different styles. Coach Riley and Coach Erickson, um, I will say they had some similarities of how you know, competitive, but how they voiced that was different because their personalities both were really smart. I do think uh, I, some beauty about Mike Riley was, you know, comfortable in his own skin, wasn't trying to be anybody he didn't, uh, or he thought he needed to change. He was he was consistent with how yeah. uh, he approached problems, strategies. I think one thing that's sometimes missed with him is his expertise on, expertise on both sides of the ball. You know, been a defensive coordinator, transitioned to offense, became an offensive coordinator, called plays on both. Uh, really, that was and that was my first couple of years. So I give him a bunch, along with Paul Christ, a bunch of credit for my early learning. Like I wanted to get into coaching and just open my eyes to schematics and strategy, protection and you know precision routes and all of that. It's my first couple of years. Fast forward to Dennis Erickson. Uh, you know, I do think he could evaluate talent. It was quickly for him. He could recognize a guy that could play, run, explosive. Um, definitely had an aggressive style to him. Wanted to make the game physical and aggressive, and his teams played that way. You know, to the sometimes to the echo of the whistle. Um, but it was going to be competitive. There ain't no back down here. He gonna walk in. He didn't care who we were playing, who we were lining up with. I mean, he wanted to go toe to toe, and I think that personality trait bled into bled into his teams. Um, so yeah, but my, for me now becoming a head coach and in this, they, both those guys had huge, huge influence on me, um, from my playing days, but then you get around other coaches, get into this business. And I had a bunch of guys that really influenced me moving forward. And, and it currently, I mean, you, the assistants we got on the staff have a huge influence on the kind of direction of what we do and, and all that. Mm. When, when I see the style of play now and the physicality and and knowing other coaches still, obviously through my career that are in the Pac-12 and the physical nature um, that kind of, I think is kind of the brand uh, that Oregon State has established. And was that intentional on your part from who you're selecting to the coaches, et cetera? How, how has that come about? Yeah, it was. I mean, I felt like, you know, big when I early got down here, getting a little football scheme, but like recruiting the 12 personnel, recruiting to taller, longer edges. I thought we could do that in the Northwest to start and then and bleed down. Um, I offensively, uh, you know, it's a little bit of my background of wanting to, to be pretty balanced and run, and run the ball and, and make the game physical. I think by running the ball, you can finish games. Um, and, and so we wanted to kind of recruit to that, have a style of play. We we definitely wanted to try to establish an identity in our first year or two, so that we once we're recruiting a year or two, uh, we weren't grab on grab at straws uh, in our in our scheme, even though we weren't getting great results in year one. And I think that's paid dividends of uh, you know now we've had multiple years of recruiting to a, a brand, a style. Uh, 
that fits our place and we've got an identity and we, we stick to it. Um, and, you know, the proof's been in the pudding a little bit the last couple of years. You know, one of the things that I learned about leadership early on uh, was that you can compete on differentiation. And so you can play the same game different or you can play a different game. Mm -hmm. And based mm -hmm. on where you are and the resources you have available, that, that fits. And I think a lot of folks um, aren't courageous enough, don't have enough vision, and they just do what others are doing. And mm -hmm. they, they don't quite uh, distinguish themselves enough. And just by being 12 personnel oriented, and if you put that in the Pac-12, and if you basically put it in college football right now with all of the spread and 11 personnel, there's a distinctive uh, advantage already just in who you can get, the style of play, but then opponent preparation. And, totally. and I, I think there's a, I think there's value there. Totally. that We want to have some uniqueness. Like right when you play teams that have a style that's pretty different than maybe the last three, four opponents, there's a competitive advantage in my mind. And, and again, I'm not here to say there's not great offenses through our league, and there are, and there are a couple teams that are similar. Utah's doing some similar stuff at a high level. But we did want to have a little bit – uh, an outlier scheme wise that, you know, hopefully creates an advantage and we can recruit to and, and the type of players that, that fit our place. So besides the, besides the outcome, what do you think is generating the most momentum for your program and facilities being built and, and right. So I know outcome is a huge part of it. Do you see other things that have maybe helped along the way? Yeah. I, um, I did, you know, leadership, our athletic director had a vision early on and wanted to transition this stadium on the west side. And it was a heavy lift. And he, he took that on and people bought into a vision of, you know, where we yes, asked where this football program can go, but also the athletic department slash the university itself, because there's some things about the stadium now that are not just about six Saturdays in the fall. You know, mm -hmm. do a brand new welcome center that every potential student coming to our place can see we're branded, building a brand new student uh, health center just off the side of the stadium for all students. And so it was a university buy-in uh, with that uh, belief that, you know, football does bring communities together. Our, our home games have been pretty good the last couple of years, just with you know, people showing up, our student section. And I think there's just value and morale for your university when people gather and, and get together and, and believe in that. Uh, you know, we, we, get, we take a little pride in, you know, graduation and guys doing well in school and, you know, going on and, and doing great things besides just the National Football League. I think there's a, a belief from our kind of our fan base and people that, you know, we're doing more than just lining these guys up to, to win games. Yeah. Well, um, if you were advising and I'm hearing you just kind of talk about alignment with the university president and you mentioned the athletic director and, and the vision there, if you're advising and you're considering um, I don't know, ever, ever taking another job or the one that you got here, uh, if you're considering or advising others to say, man, how important are the athletic director, their vision slash president slash relationship with the head coach? How would you, how would you chronicle that or, or explain that to folks? Yeah, hey, that, I do. I like that word a lot. Alignment. Uh, again, I was a rookie. I had first time head coach five years ago. Now going through this process, it's vitally important that you're on the same page, open lines of communication. Uh, I want to say it was heard it maybe from James Frank Franklin of the consideration oh. of making sure expectations align as well from the, you know, athletic department and the, uh, the president expectations align with the you know, investment in the place. Uh, I do think that it's a team effort on this deal. Uh, totally. you know, yeah, I'm a head coach and 
we got assistant coaches, but you need the athletic department and leadership on the university side to, to know that they feel like football athletics is valued. They're going to invest in it. Uh, and we got to reciprocate on that side too. We're part of the front door of the university and represent them in a, in a great way. Yeah. So you mentioned your student section as well. And, and there, there's a, there's a pageantry and an excitement in college football. That's, I don't know. Uh, I haven't seen anything like it. And especially when the students um, are passionate about their team. And as, as you've seen the student section kind of grow and develop um, in your stadium, which I've seen as well, uh, just as I've been watching from afar, how did that start? Uh, do you remember specific things that you did or has it just been more organic? Well, we definitely had wanted to get a better product out there from what, what had been showing, you know, competitive, right? Yeah. We went in some games. I did feel like as a player, we got a, we had a pretty good home field advantage. I mean, you, you know, this Corvallis, yeah. If you're coming to play Corvallis, you're staying 45 minutes away, either in Eugene or Salem. It's not easy to get to. Uh, the, the, now, this new stadium, we're getting a better visitor locker room. But previous, down in Gill Coliseum in the basement of the basketball arena, yeah. I mean, it's just a tough place to play. And yeah. so early, we thought if we can get back to having some home field advantage, that'll really help us. And it it has. The last couple of years, I think we've only lost one game in two years at home. And the students are a part of that, like the energy pregame, and they're right behind our bench, and the energy they they create for the crowd, and uh, uh, they make a difference in the game. I mean, you go on the road, and you get on that other side of the field, and you're warming up, and that student section's already in your players' ears, and when a quarterback throws a bad ball, and pat and go, and they're all <laughs> over them, you know, that, that stuff matters. Uh, <laughs> And we're not alone. I mean, we get, there's some great places to go play in this league, but I do think we got a cool kind of event a tradition with our students uh, at home games that has helped us. Well, and there, there's some of the night games in Corvallis, especially later in the year, where there, it's going to be a little foggy and it's going to be dark and rainy. And and yeah, yeah. and if they're All coming out of Gill Coliseum locker room, visitors, they gotta, room. They, you know, they got to walk across the little street there. And of course, <laughs> the crowd, our, our fans were letting them know right from the beginning and uh, you know, the space over there is no good. All that matters when you're on the road to winning. And anyhow, uh, hopefully we can keep that going. They're getting a brand new locker room with this new new stadium. So I remember coming there as the head coach at BYU back to my alma mater. And we were we were as the visitors dressing in the Gill Coliseum visitors locker room. And there are steps that you have to navigate. And <laughs> I remember a couple of guys getting taken out, going down the steps with their cleats. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, OK, yeah, yeah. I, I remember. Yeah. The old concrete <laughs> steps, they're not that big. It's pretty steep. It's exactly. Yeah. So if you're, if you're thinking about, I don't know, five, five years now uh, as, a, as a college football coach, head coach, with all the, the constant state of readiness and the scope and scale of challenges and decisions that you have to make, and you were to advise your, your younger self or, or yourself just arriving now from your five-year-old uh, experience self what are what are some of the main lessons that that maybe would have made it a little bit smoother in the transition yeah I think uh <laughs> you're always learning right I mean but back to tell myself year one I think I would a little bit of um you know trusted your gut on some in initial impressions of mm -hmm. whatever however uh, different aspects of the program are going we knew we you know had some heavy lifting I, I've gotten into this idea of, of not always whatever a situation something comes across your desk our first inclination a lot of times is like okay how can i fix this or how can i a transition more of thinking of like who 
who can I ask to go take care of this or will run with this and less of allowing for my more of my thought to be big picture and uh, focus on the, the whole versus this maybe this small issue in academics or in the weight room or discipline or you know that kind of thing because um, you do going back to this idea of surrounding yourself with good people well allow them to have some ownership on and why don't you run with this or what, what's your insight when you take that and um i think that's that's grown here for me this idea of empowering others more than i did maybe in year one and year two you know there, there's two along that same uh train of thought there's a really cool concept uh, for a lot of successful leaders and it starts with who first then what and yeah. so if you just take what you said and kind of make it backwards here's the challenge or here's the problem that comes across your desk and again, rather than you as the head coach being the one that has to solve that, uh, your first question was who, which is which is an amazing resource if you have enough who's around you that you trust and that are capable. And right. and that that allows a, another kind of sequencing of of uh, what's called the delegation of work or work processes. So at the very top of um, the, the work scale, there's something called competitive work. And that really is only work that the, the head coach can do. It's the most elite work that gives the most competitive advantage and no one else can do it other than him or her. Mm -hmm. Right underneath that, there's what's called competitive enabling work. And man, that's for your most trusted, I mean, your strength coach, right? Mm -hmm. So the strength and conditioning that enables the team to do their work. Whoever is in charge of academics, wow, they better be on point, your coordinators, right? So right underneath you, there's that other key tier and it's important work, but it's not work that, that that occupies all your time. But if that's not done well, it sucks you down into that. Right. There's a tier under that called business essential, where man, if you don't have, if you're if you're a personal assistant isn't doing a great job with your emails and you're just getting blasted with things that haven't handled and you're it's blowing up and you're trying to do that, that's two tiers down from the elite work that you could be doing. And so I guess my point is there's compliance work and then basically work to be eliminated. But each one of those, and I think one of the hardest things, but sounds like you've learned it really early on already and just by year five, is being able to delegate and, and the majority of work and time. And we, so I charted this in our organization. And, and if I was doing, doing anything else other than my competitive work, I was viewing that as a failure. And because yeah. I wasn't delegating enough or... And if I wasn't, it was usually because I wasn't trusting enough or I didn't think the person was capable, which usually meant um, there was a change that needed to be made. Yeah. And, and with the wrong people, it ends up still coming across your desk. But man, when you get the right people and the right delegation pattern, there's momentum and speed that happen. There, yeah, there's no question uh, that, you know, I've worked a lot of what you're saying in year five, we've gotten to that point. I do think we've done it decent job around here too of just making sure you know align on values uh you know and we speak to this really twice a couple times a year but the organization understanding that these are the core values that we're going to operate under and then you yeah. go into this of who's going to go handle things well they're still under this umbrella of how we're treating yes. people and, and accountability and honesty and things and it's uh it's, you know, it's almost like you're trying to, I think it's Chris Peters told me talking about, you know, just trying to create an environment where people can do their best work. Yes. Uh, and it's been fun the last couple of years feeling like we've got some momentum in that direction and our continuity that coaches have stayed around. They understand these, the values and operating at a high level. Um, it's been, it, that part of the job can be fun. 
with the strong set of guiding principles, like you're saying, then each person that you delegate work to, uh, they can do it their own way, but it's within the rules of engagement of the operating and your general principles, right? Mm -hmm. So it's not a different program by each coach or each delegate, delegatee, right? They're still following the principles, but they can do it in their own way. And we know in the world of, of the workplace, there's three things that kind of drive satisfaction. And number one is purpose, which you kind of addressed. Number two is autonomy, right? Having the yeah. chance to kind of work. In, and then number three is mastery, which usually comes from the autonomy where you've had a, people have had a chance to learn and grow and been assigned things. And some have gone well and some they failed in and they learned, but they were mastered. They were, they were moving toward mastery because they were given responsibility and trusted enough to, to do heavy things. And sometimes as a leader, yeah, you give someone something and, and you trust them, but they're still learning and growing too. And sometimes it doesn't work out perfect. I mean, there's no question. I, cause I, I tried to think back to when I was assistant and that I had some autonomy and that's when I did my best work and trust in and mistakes were made. And also I'm humble enough to understand this. Is, I was really the rookie. I think about the first couple of years when I was the head coach here, I was the only rookie in the building. Everyone else had been the coordinator. Everyone else had been a position coach, you know, and I made plenty of mistakes. Uh, yeah. And obviously the autonomy I have now being the head coach, it's a, that's why I go back to this idea of always just learning. Uh, you're one to two to three, four conversations like this. Um, that almost gets me excited for the next, you know, five, yeah. 10 years, what it looks like doing this thing. It's so fun to learn and apply and, and, uh, and getting the chance to do that. And even though everybody watches, right. And then your, yeah. your mistakes are visible, but so are your successes. There's a, a level five leader is defined really uniquely by humility and will at the same time. So yep. They're, they're so humble, but they're just so fiercely uh, resolute and they believe in the purpose so much that they just keep trying. And it's a great lesson for young people that failures or setbacks doesn't mean failure, right? And you can fall forward. And yep. so as a young head coach, yeah, I, I think you build credibility by just acknowledging, yep, well, that didn't work great. <laughs> it's totally on me. I'm going totally. to get better and here we go. Yeah, because I do think we dwell, if we dwell on mistakes as coaches, I mean, we got to own up to it and we continue to move forward. Just like we're going to ask these players, I play corner, first quarter, I get beat on a deep ball. Well, you got to recover from that quickly and get uh, get back in this game and win the game in the fourth quarter, play better. Mistakes are going to happen. This idea of you know, perfection, not it's not there. But I think it was Sue Inquist, she's a longtime softball coach, talking yeah. about a failure recovery system. Uh, and really, ultimately, you're trying to have sustained excellence, not play perfect, sustained excellence. A part of that is recovering from mistakes, uh, which are going to take place. And so I've learned that over time because I've made plenty as this head yeah. coach and things you do different. You, you know, recover, move on forward, learn from it. Yeah. Uh, I try to do well, better the next time. Well, one of the best places to be as a, a competitor, a, perfor a performer, an athlete, a leader, is you're always striving for that area right outside of your reach. You know, it's not way outside, but just, and and by definition, that's gonna increase the chances that you aren't successful because you're just out, you're reaching for something just outside your current ability. So I love the idea of the recovery, right? Cause it's gonna be failure or setback recovery. I don't like the word failure very much, but it's gonna be setback recovery. And that cycle is just going to keep going. And that's lifelong, right? If, if you're a lifelong learner, which we both are, yeah. and you have a growth mindset. Um, so I'm wondering, what, where do you see and how do you see like the personal relationships with your players? Um, 
and maybe how they're treated facilitating that or kind of building the confidence, you know, in, in, in them and, and vice versa. Yep. That, that part, I actually miss more being the head coach, yeah. especially when you're in that position coach, from my experience, coach the quarterbacks my whole life. It was, that was like my favorite time was the position meeting. I get totally. in there, I got four or five guys, obviously we're teaching, going over the film, but you know, inside jokes are taking place and, you know, humor back and forth, life's going on. You know, I try, but it's not as easy. Now the head coach, you're, you're overseeing, I think we had 126 on the roster last year. Right. Um, trying to be intentional of, you know, knowing, knowing names, having conversations at practice popping in, uh, but also, having meetings in my office once at least once a year a corporate more or less sit down and check in on life because uh, life is going on for these guys totally. uh, there's a lot of good uh you know being a college athlete but there's a lot of you know extra responsibility that comes with it and they've still got homesickness or getting broken up with a girlfriend or you know life's going on so i miss that on the intimacy side as the assistant try to be intentional from the, the head coach's side uh, and I, I think that brings again, value to the program when the coaches, the players feel like coaches are invested in knowing more than just the football side. Yeah. The, the, one of the things you mentioned, I, I heard it more in the tone and how you said it than, than the words itself, but missing the position meetings. So as the head coach, um, the pause that I've taken, I can't tell you the number of head coaches that call and they're lonely and isolated in that position okay. because oh, yeah. There, there's information that, that you have at your level that the assistant coaches can't know, coordinators can't know, um, your spouse sometimes based on that relationship and how much they want to carry. Yeah. But there's, there's a lot as any leader that is just, you're, you just own it and you're living with that and it can't be shared um, or to very few. And the personal relationships with those that really were most important when you started your profession if not really intentional and you build processes in, you can become more and more removed from the thing that you love the most. Yep. And um, at the University of Virginia, toward the end, I started calling it office hours, but there were there were benches that went that sat on each side of the door going into the locker room. And so I would try when practice was over to get there first and just sit on one of the benches. Huh. And it was, it was right by the entrance where, where the players came in and I would just sit, I'd take off my shoes, my cleats or whatever, and just sit there and I would just wait. And it was, it was um, uh, amazing how many would just one at a time and, and some would kind of wait to see who else was looking and then they would slide in there. Yeah. But, you know, because <clears throat> coming to the corner office is different and it's a little intimidating. Um, but I found just so much enjoyment for that same thing you're talking about. I just wanted a connection point with yeah. as many players and young people as I could for the same reasons, 126 young people, challenges happening in their lives and, and who are they going to talk to and just trying to make myself available. So I, it resonates what you're talking about. That That is really good. I got to try something like that. Cause I didn't even just think you mentioned the corner office can be intimidating the environment where you're talking to them at. Yeah. Uh, that's not bad outside the locker room or, or find and, a different and, space. You know, and, and what it was, too, is it was right on my way. And a lot of times when it comes to habits, you, you try to make the hard things easy. Right. And so rather than having to change, shower, go up two flights of stairs, see the see the, the gatekeeper, the assistant right, right, right. Your way through. This was just if they wanted to wait around just a little bit or if they didn't care, if they just wanted to have a, a fun conversation, they could sit. Um, but I, I think 
man, I, um, what I've learned right now, what I miss most, the relationships with the players, yeah. like of, of all of all the things, the relationships. And so, man, that was just one small little thing um, that I applied that and you'll do it in your own way that will, I think, help bring some life into just keeping those connections because it, it's hard to do that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That, that's really good because I find myself sometimes, you know, you get into the season, they mm-hmm. almost turn into like a number. Hey, 55 yes. needs to play better. He's pushing <laughs> this, this, you know, bringing some humanity back to like knowing them and not only seeing them off of, you know, practice tape or game. Film. Because the, the, the profession is so outcome oriented already. Right? Oh, yeah. And once you're in the season, literally that's really all you're hearing or dealing with. And it's, uh, I found that that's not enough. Uh, building in processes that I love the word humanity that rebuild the humanity into it. And it doesn't yeah. mean you're, you're uh, harder or softer on them, but it does mean you're more connected. And, and there's an appreciation that way that, I don't know, I found more joy and fulfillment. And, and again, what I've missed most, um, so if you're the older version of yourself and you're now in your, your late 50s like I am, it's like, yeah, man, I'd probably sit and be available a little more. Um, yeah, yeah. And, and, and it's amazing. It, it was only like a half hour. You know, it, it didn't have to be a long time. And anyway, the dividends were great. So what, what do you see? Wow. Now we were talking a little bit before you came on. There's a unique challenge. At the same time, we have the portal and NIL, which when you put those two together at the same time, wow, was that challenging? And conference realignments and television contracts and battling for rights and, and all that. So yeah. as if, we, if we step back and just look big picture a little bit, what what do you see in, in for college football? And, and I don't know, what's your take? Yeah, there's a lot there. Uh, you know, I'm still an optimist. I think there's just too much beauty, value, this game of college football that it's just going to go completely haywire. I think that, yeah, can we get some guardrails on the NIL transfer portal that make it a little bit more competitively balanced? Yes. And uh, the current setup, I don't know if it's sustainable mm-hmm. of the way it's working. Um, but And I'm, I'm optimistic that we can get that figured out. Um you know, the conference realignment and all of that. I obviously I'm a West Coast guy, I've been on the West Coast for a long time. Feel confident that there's still great football players on this side of the country, great coaches going on. Um, but not in those meetings and negotiations, TV deal, all of this. That goes back to controlling what what it can control and focusing on those things. Uh, yeah. and so I'll, you know, I'm optimistic. I know that uh it is, it's ever changing landscape. Um but optimistic that we're going to be playing big time college football on the West coast for a long time. Yeah. It's, it's great to hear your perspective and there's all different kinds of perspectives. And I sat in the AFCA board meetings for, for so many years and, and the topics discussed and then actually what, what we could actually execute and and bring to fruition. Yeah. was a real challenge. Um, I I got my first taste of that. I'm on the AFCA board with Tom Barry and, uh, It, it, that that was like you're saying a lot of good discussions topics but what what ultimately can we get accomplished for the coming year next year and i've learned a ton that uh, it's not always easy to seems like an easy really good idea well there's always a bunch of hurdles to get it done <laughs> well i'm glad that you're giving back in that capacity uh because quite frankly the the next generation of coaches like yourself right that 
that are willing to do that, which is more time, energy and effort. However, it is kind of being a steward and a guardian for the game, which is so great. And but more importantly, for young people to, and a chance for them to develop and grow through the game. Um, but I'd love to hear just about your family and, and how they're navigating you being a head coach and and what what that's what that's like for. Yeah. Um, you know, again, at this town, I think it's created uh, opportunities for me to be actively involved because of this convenience of getting to events and things. I got to just finished the first a freshman in the, so they just finished school, but whatever he finished his freshman year in high school. I got a seventh grade daughter and a uh, third grade son. So there's three of them, me and my wife, Candace, I think we're going on year 21 this, this <laughs> next month. Uh, and so it's been, it's been good. Uh, like I say, established, they've been here now five years, good friends, schools. we like um, the neighborhood we live in that all has been going well. All of them are active now playing sports and mentioned my the freshman high school plays football and baseball and my daughter's doing a lot soccer softball uh basketball my youngest plays baseball basketball and football so it keeps us busy keeps my wife busy getting them around and all that uh it'd be nice when the freshman turns into a 16 year old and he up drive and <laughs> carpool some of the time Sounds like all balls all the time at your house. There's some kind of something being kicked or thrown or, or something. Yeah. So. yeah, it's it's busy, and it, but active and, and fun. It really it really is. You know? And that's why some of this, all the strategy we put in, like from our program and deep thought into, you know, strategy and culture and things of really trying to build some skill in, on the family side, being intentional of, of building that in and, you know, this next month's always big for coaches, right? July is a good time to be able to. And so we've got a couple of thoughts on doing some stuff in the summer, just the five of us to, to make sure we get that quality time and make some memories. There's a really cool principle um, that I learned along the way, and it's work expands to the boundaries you set. Hmm. And, and the boundary setter is the head coach. Yeah. And, and, and so Candace and those kids, right? Um, the more effective you are with those boundaries, even if that frees up one extra hour per week in season, what if it's an hour and a half? And, and if you're really intentional, and this is for all the, the young coaches listening, an hour and a half makes a huge difference in a marriage when, when the partner knows that that's been carved out and there were hard things done to make sure that that hour and a half is in place and it's always in place. And, and that's, um, there's no reason you can't have an amazing family while doing um, this job. No yeah. question. There's no question you can. And carving out that hour type, we this was the first season I did that. Each Tuesday kind of carved out an hour at lunchtime. Didn't yes. walk off the practice field, go straight to the film. It was it was having lunch with my, with my wife, and it was phenomenal. Uh, you know, and trying to find ways to be intentionally carving out time. And you can do it. You, you totally. totally can do it. Um, so... And and those stories, I think, are what needs to happen more at Brigham Young University. My wife and I's time, Wednesdays, 12 to 1.30. Yeah. And, and, and that might not sound like much to anyone that's listening, but in season, oh, it's yeah. huge. And, but for both of us to know, no matter what else happens, nothing's getting in, getting in the way of 12 to 1.30. And, and that was our way just to make sure we each know that the other was first in our lives. And so even though the time volume didn't reflect it, what we we're willing to do within the context to carve out something right in the middle of it yeah. was kind of symbolic of, of the commitment. I think, you know, I think about that, like even modeling for our kids, 
yep. or even our players of like, we're going to make this a priority as big as this job and what all of that's going on of making a, a priority. Doesn't sound like much like you're mentioning yep. once a week for an hour, but yep. yeah, once a week for an hour, <laughs> I'm going to model that. And so hopefully some of the attributes I've got, my kids are learning from. <laughs> you know what else uh, I think just while we're on that, before we finish up is, um, players, when they're coming off the practice field, they're in their showering and they're getting ready to go off the class and they see your spouse or your kids pull up in the parking lot and they see you getting in the car or they see you going to have a picnic or when they see that, uh, what I've learned again in this time that I've taken, the players remember and, and they text those things. And there's very few comments about games, but they say, man, I remember you with your boy out there in the practice field after, you know, we were done. Hey. And, they remember that. And so that modeling that you're talking about, wow, do they remember and see that, which is, yeah, super valuable to the sustainment of the family values, right? That they can learn through football. Yeah. The, this game of football, mm-hmm. of being able to just navigate life, you know, uh, it's almost like, and again, Chris Peterson told me this a while ago, and it's totally true. I think the, our players, our, my kids, have access to more information than ever, yep. right? We're just we're here to help them kind of interpret this life of what they're going through. Social media was a little bit the topic, but uh, modeling and just helping them interpret what's valued and 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 carving out, making it a priority to spend time with those that that are most important. Well, and, and it, it's uh, so maintaining and sustaining that regardless of the record, right? Those are the yeah. challenges, and and having that hour carved out when you're two and 10 and I've been yeah. two and 10 one time and carving it out when you're 10 and two. And, and so that consistency of that value, regardless of the rest also sends a really powerful message. And, and I really think that's, that's something that we don't hear enough of in our industry. I'm glad we could address it today on this podcast because true happiness in this profession or in life's not going to happen without being able to do all of that at the same time. And there's no question. There's yeah. no question. Uh, I, I think it's similar. We talk to our players. It's about the process and, you know, focusing on not on the results. I think this us on the coaches side, same thing. It's about the process, setting up the process that, uh, you know, you can be the type of big time coach and big time husband, father you want to be. Yeah, there, there's one, there's a pretty simple rule. And I used to tease the players about it, but the, the, the principle is real. And that scheduled events happen more than non-scheduled events. And so mm-hmm. I would show them my calendar. I'd put it up on the screen in a team meeting and it would show my wife and I, you know, Holly date 12 to 1.30 on Wednesday. And it was blocked out. It was in a color and like nothing else could get into there because it was already scheduled. Yeah. And so my point yeah. to them was anything that's really important Put it on your schedule and watch what happens in terms of the frequency that you do that. And and it's it's simple, but just the thought of planning as you as to your point, your processes, right? Um, yeah. When you when part of your process is putting it down and on scheduling, you got a chance. No question, that's good. But yeah, that's good. so I'm just man, really fun to catch up today. And and Brian will he always gets the last the last question. We never know what he's going to say either, Jonathan. So I, oh, I, yeah. I when I turn it back to him, I'm never quite sure where it's going to go, but. Just it's fun to see your success. Congratulations so far. And also just the beginnings of a, a bright career, five years, but also so many also already so many accomplishments and um, just yeah. really fun to see. So congratulations. Well, I appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah.
Yeah, Bronco, Bronco only says that because I, I keep raising the bar for, for when he ultimately gets back into coaching in terms of mm -hmm. you know, what the first couple of years are, are going to look like. But yeah. it, it's been fantastic to catch up with you. And, and hey, Coach Smith, I mean, your, your old coach, Mike Riley, getting inducted into the Hall of Fame there for, for OSU this year, that, that's going to be pretty special for you, too, knowing that there's a lot of expectations coming into this year. But, uh, you know, some of those, those familiar faces are still going to be around the program uh, getting inducted and recognized for, for all their hard work there. Yeah, no question. That's well-deserved. This guy uh, did a ton for this university, had a bunch of big-time seasons, uh, consistency, good man, represented this place. Uh, so I was 100% supportive and excited that uh, I'll be here That uh, when we celebrate. Not just him. There's other, you know, all athletes, but football, but especially uh, a guy that I started. Uh, give me my first opportunity here to be, be able to be in person to celebrate him and uh, is well-deserved. Absolutely. And we'll, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll hit stop on the recording so you can tell us all of the, uh, the Chad Johnson stories for, for yeah. college days, <laughs> but uh, we, we appreciate it. Fantastic season ahead. Uh, I think for, for you guys uh, coming up here and I, I know tons of excitement there around the program with the new stadium opening up, everything going on. Uh, but uh, Jonathan Smith, the head coach of the Oregon state Beavers, thank you so much for jumping on here on head coach you. Yeah. Thank you guys. Appreciate it. Absolutely. Well, for Coach Smith and Bronco Mendenhall, I'm Brian Fisher. This has been Head Coach U. We'll catch you again next week.